Well, good morning to all. That song just speaks of the, the fountain of blessing to us, and we are, we are a blessed people. In fact, we're more than blessed as Americans. We, we're a wealthy people. for many reasons and in many ways. Before we go on, let's uh, just take a, a moment and uh, come before the Lord. Lord, this morning, as we look at this subject of finances, Lord, just give us a greater awareness of the blessings that you have showered upon us all because we're here, because we're in this country and have many benefits, many things that today, even at this moment, there are literally billions of people who whose life doesn't even come close, whose situation doesn't even come close to the, the lowest financial situations that we might experience in this country. Lord, give us a greater appreciation of what you have given us and what you have given us responsibility for. Just bless uh, this hour and this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on your schedule, it says the, the topic for today is finances. And uh, I thought about what, what should the title really be for, for this message this morning. I thought of perhaps... Uh, a biblical perspective on finances or a kingdom perspective on finances. But nonetheless, this, this topic is very much a topic that is spoken of in the scriptures. Now, depending on how you look at it or, or, or uh, how you, uh, what sources you go to, uh, I think we'll find that there are, there are over 2,000 scriptures that speak to the area of finances, whether it's uh, about money, possessions, wealth, riches, poverty, gain, giving, debt, and you can probably find some more categories that, that really come under this thing of finances. In other words, what do you do about money? What do you do with it? What do you do about your resources? What do you do about the things that you're entrusted with? So in a sense, really, the, the, the overwhelming uh, thing that we're talking about is stewardship. being The things that we have that have been given to us that we're responsible for. And, and really, it is a greater thing than just money and possessions. It's also time. We're not going to speak a lot about time today, but just to be aware that we have more than money, more than possessions, but the, God has given us each time. And, and for you all as young people, you have a, a time right now in your lives that, that you shouldn't just let go by. You should be looking at this very time in your life and asking yourself the question, what can I, can I do in this area of finances for the kingdom of God. Now, what I have to say, probably, I'm going to guess that it might seem a little bit un unbalanced in some ways, because I'm going to concentrate on one, more, one area more than another. Uh, but what I'd like to touch on this morning is, is three areas under the, the topic of finances. One, giving. Two, saving. And three, spending. Now you can you look at finances, those are the three basic things. 
giving, saving, spending. Spending money is pretty easy, isn't it? Isn't it pretty easy to spend money? I mean, it's been said that you can spend money like, like what does it say, like water. I mean, you could just pour it out, just like it was water. On the other hand, saving money is hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to save money. Fact is, uh, you know, you can, the interesting thing is this thing on finances. There are, are thousands of books written about the subject of finances and budgeting and all kinds of things. And there's many books written for, even from a Christian perspective about the same thing. And there's lots of statistics that you can find. I could, I could spend an hour just rattling off all kinds of statistics around money and how money is spent, uh, most of it in, in here in America, because the fact is we have most of the money. We have most of the resources. And so it revolves around us. And so here as Americans, we have a great responsibility. As American Christians, we have an even greater responsibility because we're in this kingdom of God. And God has give, given us things and resources, uh, blessings, material blessings, and spiritual blessings as well. Just one thing here, a fact that, about spending, uh, just one little thing. Interesting. I found this fact that half of Americans, half of, of, of those uh, who live in America, households, I guess we could say it that way, Half of American households have less than $500 saved. Half of all Americans only have perhaps $500 or less in their savings account. Another figure I found said about 70% of Americans have $1,000 perhaps saved up. So for all the wealth and all the things that, that are in America, there's not a whole lot of saving going on. There's way more spending going on if you just think about those figures. Spending is easy. So spending is easy, saving is hard, but maybe even giving. That might be the hardest thing to do. I mean, when you have money in your hand, you can decide to stick it in the bank, or you can decide to buy something with it. But when you give it away, you're letting it go. You're just letting it go. And that just might be the hardest thing to do. And I think that perhaps, you know, we talk about uh, 2,000 verses around the topic of, of finances, money. But I think the scriptures say a lot about giving. We could spend hours and hours and hours if we just looked at all the scriptures that talk about giving. Let's turn to Matthew in chapter 6. I'm going to look at uh, a number of portions of scripture that, that speak, speak to the, uh, giving. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 1. Words of Jesus, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. 
Let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at some verses here that speak to this topic, and then we'll, we'll look closer at them. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the beginning of the chapter there. Just two verses, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. The words of the Apostle Paul. Let's go to 2 Corinthians now, in chapter 8. Verse 9, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was readiness to will, so there may be performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, and their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that hath gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. And in the very next chapter here, chapter 9, verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Again, the words of Paul. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As we think about these, these four passages, as we review these things, I think we can find ten principles here. Ten principles for giving. As we look out at those, that passage in, in Matthew, we can see that when Jesus was speaking here, he says, when thou doest thine alms, when, when, not if, but when. Christian giving, it's not, it's not an optional thing. When you give, Jesus said. It's essential. It's part of the Christian life. It's part of being a follower of Jesus. And we often hear uh, it referred to in the Old Testament. They had to give. They had tithes. And it's not so in the New Testament. 
But is that truly Jesus' teaching? He said, when you give. When, not if. I believe that Jesus expected all, all of his followers to give to the work of the kingdom. Another principle we see is giving for the right reasons. Jesus warned that, that uh, his disciples not give to be admired by others, not give to be seen of other men. We have to be careful about our motives for giving. We ought to give for the glory of God. We ought to give for his approval and not the approval of men. I think it was just mentioned yesterday about Ananias and Sapphira. What was their motivation for giving? You know, when we read that account, we see that, that in the early church, there was, this, there was a, a much enthusiasm, much excitement about caring for one another's needs. And, and it's, it's, it's said there in the, in the passage that speaks of them that, that there, were, there were Christians who were giving. They were, they, were, they were selling land. They were selling possessions. The ones who had much recognized that there were some among them that had little. And, and they sold possessions, and they, it says that they laid it at the apostles' feet to be distributed. And, and there's an account of a man who sells his property, and he lays it at, at the disciples' feet. And then, and then here, the, in the, the very next verse, it says that, and here's Ananias and Sapphira, and they come along, and, and they had a certain possession, it says, and, and they sold it. And they laid it at the apostles' feet. The only problem was uh, the Holy Spirit was speaking uh, to, to Peter, I believe it was, and said, ask them a question about this thing. Were, were, they giving, were they giving to be noticed of men? Here we saw this, this other brother. He, he sold this property. He gave it. Wasn't that a really good thing? And and Ananias and Sapphira, were they thinking, we're going to do that too. We're going to, we, we want to be seen as, as good givers. But the Holy Spirit intervened. God judged them for their motives. We need to have right motives in our giving. Another principle, the Lord Jesus wants us to practice benevolent, charitable giving. In, in Matthew uh, 6 there, Jesus says, when you give alms, when you give to the poor, when you give to charity, benevolent giving. So there's a need for us to give to uh, those who are much in need. Another principle. Jesus reminds us that our giving really isn't to a cause. It isn't for even a purpose we might think of. But our giving ought to be seen as ultimately our giving is to God, to the, our, our Heavenly Father. Jesus said, when you give, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. We're not simply adding to the budget of the church. If we, if we can get, get a, an idea, just get a concept of when we give, well, this is really an act of worship. We're giving unto the Lord's work, not simply uh, adding some money to the church budget to be uh, administered. Over 20 years ago, uh, we, when we were with a, oh, was a non-denominational church, uh, I was given the job of, of uh, being in charge of the church's finances. And this was a, a good-sized church. I think our, our church budget, our offerings per year, we're somewhere in the neighborhood of $350,000. So it was quite a, 
quite a large amount of money to be responsible for as the treasurer. And I took it very seriously. In fact, so seriously that I questioned some of the expenditures that were being made by, by various uh, uh, people who had different budgets in the church. And I remember a time when a uh, request came through for some money and, and uh, I, I thought so seriously about, um, here I'm being responsible for, for what belongs to God and, and I refused to sign a check. And uh, I kind of got in hot water with somebody about it, but it just seemed like a frivolous expense. And it wasn't a small one either. Uh, but there was another man who had power to sign checks, and I was overridden. But I took seriously the fact that this belonged to God, and I was responsible for this $350,000 church budget. But it's no less for us. If you have $3,000 at your disposal that you're responsible of, or $30,000, God still holds us responsible for what is under our care, whether it's little or it's much. Another principle that we can see is that our giving, we need to see as an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. It's even mentioned by Paul that, uh, that on a certain day that money should be given as an act of worship. When we put our money in the offering, we are worshiping the Almighty God in accordance with his word. Paul speaking here of the collection for the saints. This is the giving to the church, for the church, but not only the, the, the church, but for the kingdom of God. We need to think about that. This is for ultimately for the furtherance of the kingdom. Another principle. The Bible teaches that our giving should be done in the light of the incarnation of Jesus. The fact that Jesus gave up all. I mean, he was, he was sitting at the right hand of his father. He gave that all up to come to this earth, to be like us. He gave it all up. He gave up everything. You know, there's, there's a, an argument, and it's been for, I don't, I don't know for how long, years and years and years, hundreds of years. This question of, well, what is the amount that we ought to give? So there's been this, this argument over, over that. Is it 10% of our income? Should that be the standard? You know, that's an Old Testament uh, principle, isn't it? It was for the Jews. Hmm. But the reality is that it wasn't 10% that they were required, but it was more like 23% that they were required to give. A tithe is 10, but there were, there were other requirements that they had. There were other tithes that they had. And that was also, there was also something called free will offerings on top of all that. So can we look at, at this idea of 10% or a tithe? Okay, can we say that's a biblical thing? I think we can. But even greater than that. You know, Jesus said that, that, that he, he didn't come to, to throw out all these, uh, the, the law of the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. And, and when Jesus spoke on, on various things, and we know that there were so many things he spoke on, and, and he gave a, he kind of lifted up the standard. He said, you have read that it says this in the scriptures, but I say this now. And I say that the tithe is a starting point. That should be, I mean, we ought to look at this thing as this is just the bare minimum. 
This is the starting point. This is the, uh, uh, the reasonable uh, thing that we ought to do. And really, it ought to go beyond that. Paul says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. That's, that's Christ's standard of giving. Selfless giving. You know, we, we, we should start with the tithe, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't stop there. You know, we, we read that a, a, a account um, in the book of Mark. Uh, we could turn there for reference, the book of Mark and... Uh, Chapter twelve, verse forty-one. The account of the widow's offering. Selfless giving. And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and behold, how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich. Cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, This poor widow hath cast in more, uh, cast in more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Can you imagine someone who, a widow, a widow, and she's, she's, got, she's got two pennies, just two, but that's all she had, and she put it in. And Jesus saw it. You know, there, there were some who were putting in perhaps thousands of their denomination, thousands of mites. But Jesus ignored all that, and he points to this woman who puts in two. Now, on the surface, you could look at that and say, look how cheap she is. She only put two pennies in. And here are all these others putting thousands in. Of course, Jesus, you know, he, he knows the whole situation and he knows her heart. And the fact is that she gave all. She gave all her living, all that she had. And the others were giving of their abundance. Sacrificial giving. That's the example. The Bible teaches that Christian giving should be done in accordance with our means. I think Paul is clear on this. If there be, if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man, not according to that he hath not. What a man hath, not what he hath not. So according to what we have, we ought to give. Now what we do not have. Giving is proportional. The, the Bible says that to, to whom much is given, much will be required. The Bible also teaches that uh, the liberality or the, or the amount of God's blessing to us is, is somehow connected to the, the liberality of our Christian giving. The Bible teaches, another principle, that our giving must be willing giving, free giving, not out of compulsion. 
And if we, you know, I mentioned this thing of the tithe and 10%. If you look at it that way and you feel like, well, this is what I have to do. And I'm going to do it because I have to do it. That's not the kind of giving that, that Jesus is talking about. In 2 Corinthians there, 9-7 says, Each one must give just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Is that in conflict with, with this idea of, of that uh, a Christian should give, that, that Jesus gives that a command to give? When, when you give alms, it's not in conflict at all. As followers of Jesus, there is a requirement that we give unto the work of the kingdom. But, but the issue is that although it's, 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 it's required of us, our attitude has to be that we're willing to do it for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of his kingdom. It's required, but it should be willingly given by the believer. Another principle, the Bible teaches that Christian giving ought to be cheerful giving. As Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. Paul assures us here that the Lord takes special delight in those who are joyful, energetic, merry, and enthusiastic givers. Giving to the, the work of the kingdom is an important part of the Christian life. Sadly, there are so many Christians who are not able to give as they should or even give as they would like to give to the work of the kingdom. But why is that? Even though they may embrace this teaching, even, even though they may say, Amen, I believe it's so. I believe that it is a responsibility of, of a follower of Jesus, of a Christian, to be a cheerful giver, to give according to his means, to give uh, abundantly, even sacrificially. But why isn't that the case so many times? Unfortunately, even though we might embrace this teaching and say amen to it, and say, yes, it is according to the scriptures. Unfortunately, in many ways, we have embraced the financial habits of our American culture. Uh, uh, there, there's just another fact. In America, it's estimated that 38 million Americans uh, live what they call hand-to-mouth. In other words, uh, Every penny that they, they get is gone. It's gone. Of course, that other figure that I presented confirms that with the amount of savings there is. Everything is getting spent. As fast as it comes in, it gets spent. Many people spend more than they earn, and they regularly rely on credit to cover their overspending. Like I said, there's, there's just literally... Uh, Books and books full of facts and figures of what happens to money in America. In 1970, only 16% of households in America had a credit card. So what is that? Less than 50 years ago. Just less than 50 years ago. 16%. By the year 2000, that percentage had grown to 70%. Today, the average household credit card balance is a staggering $16,748. Now, that's, that's the balance of someone who is not paying off their, their card every month. $16,000. You start doing the numbers. Start figuring this all out. If they keep that balance on their card every month and they have the 18 or 19 or 20% interest, if they only pay the minimum balance every month, five years, five years later, they still have a $16,000 balance. But you know how much interest they paid? Almost $16,000. It's a never-ending cycle. You can't get out of it. You get that deep, 
and you can't make the payments. You can't pay more than the, just the interest. You know, that's why the banks are so happy with these credit cards. And once they get somebody caught in that cycle, they can hardly get out. And consolidation debt loans aren't the answer. Could overspending and consumer debt be part of the reason why some do not give as they should? Because they simply don't have it. They've spent it already. 24 years ago, I was in the midst of, of, of uh, having just finished uh, building a house, and I was, in, I was in the lower level doing some work. Um, and uh, I was a newer Christian at the time, just, just having been in the faith a few years. And I was studying the Bible, and the Lord was showing me different things. And I came across some verses in the book of Haggai. And we don't have to turn there. I'll read it. You just listen. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie in waste? That word sealed means paneled or wainscoted. Now ye therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe, but there is none warm. And ye earneth wages to be put, uh, wages to be put in a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now here I was. I just invested a bunch of money into building a house, and I was in the process of, of doing some of the finishing work, and, and I came across this scripture, and at the time I was hanging drywall and, and starting the process of putting up a, a, a grid work to put these ceiling panels up, and I'm reading this, and I was struck by the fact that I was putting so much energy and so much money into this house that I had built but I wasn't giving to the Lord. I wasn't giving faithfully. You know, what I was doing was looking at, at what I was giving and comparing it to, to what others gave. And I, and I felt pretty good about myself. That I'm, I'm, hey, I'm in the upper percentage of the givers in this church. But it wasn't what I ought to have been doing. That scripture goes on, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. I was taking pleasure in my own project, not the Lord's building project. You looked for so much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is in waste, and ye run every man to his own house. Well, the, what was going on there? in Israel is the house, the temple wasn't being rebuilt. It was, it was started, but it wasn't being finished. And here I was. I was trying to get this house done. But here, here was God's work not being finished, and I wasn't being part of it. I wasn't contributing to it. I was putting my time and money to my own house, neglecting the faithful giving that I should have been doing to the Lord's work. I knew better, but I reasoned with myself. And my reasoning was, when I get caught up with my debt, then I can give faithfully. Then I can give a tithe. I thought, what else could I do? I have to get caught up with my debt. But then I found another passage. The book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with the curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all 
Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, and I, if I will not open up, open you the, the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall be room enough, not, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You know, I had these questions, and here God, in, in his word, he's answering these questions. He asks these questions, will you rob God? Will a man rob God? Will you rob God? And he gave the answer. And so what could I do? What could I do? I had no choice but to obey the command of God. I had to change the way I viewed giving. Not just the way I viewed it, but how I practice it. I also had to change the way I managed my financial resources. That meant a budget. A budget. I didn't have a budget. And a budget's just a financial plan to regulate your spending. I needed my spending regulated. I think as Americans, we all need to consider how we regulate our spending. That budget put the priority on giving to God. All other expenditures were secondary. God gave us, my wife and I, a vision for our finances and our family. And since we've been blessed, the scripture is true. See if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. I'm not talking about some health and wealth kind of doctrine. That's not God's promise. He's not promising you to be rich. He's not promising you perfect health, but he's promising you a blessing beyond all measure, eternal blessings. As young Christians, God is calling you to be stewards or managers of what he has already given you and that you should have a vision for the future. Some of the financial choices uh, that you make today will affect your financial stability for years to come. I know that's true. I know the things that I did when I was a young man. When I was a young man, a car was really important to me. I wasn't a Christian. Uh, I was a churchgoer, but I wasn't a Christian. And, and so I had a job. And so when I had enough money, I, I, I bought a car. You know, I, at least I, paid, I was able to pay cash for it. But even though I paid cash for the car, as a young man, 18 years old, my insurance was incredible. The insurance and the fuel. I think I only got eight miles to the gallon. Well, it was a muscle car. What, what else would, it, would you buy when you're 18 years old in 1973? That, that car consumed everything. It can happen to you as well. All of a sudden, you know, I, I, need, I, needed, I thought I needed the car to get to work, but I need work to get, get the car. You, I, you know, I speak to the young men especially. You know, I'm assuming that, that most, of, most of you sisters are are at home, your keeper's at home, um, maybe have a part-time job, maybe have some source of income. Some of my daughters have that uh, as, as well. They, they're at home, but they, uh, they have some home businesses. But especially young men, I mean, uh, uh, most of you are working some kind of work. Most of you have, are earning some income. And you have an excellent opportunity to give. The opportunity to give is never going to be greater. Never going to be greater than what you have right now. Because if you're living at home, uh, you don't have all the expenditures, all the expenses uh, that your parents have and that you will have in the future. You have an excellent opportunity before you. In the book of Proverbs, we find this. Proverbs uh, 10, verses 4 and 5. He became poor that 
Uh, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. You know, here the scripture talks about slack hand. What that means is that you need to be careful about what you do. Take heed to your ways and how you manage your money now, especially now. And if you're finding that you're short on money now, you're in for a, a rude awakening. You know, if, the, the, the fact is probably 90% of you are going to end up, probably going to end up married. I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. If you're having trouble now, imagine the trouble you're going to have in the future when all the expenses that your parents have become yours. Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to work. And you're going to earn wages. Be careful what you do with those wages. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Romans 13.8 says, Own no man anything but to love one another, for he that... Uh, that loveth another hath fulfilled uh, the law. The scriptures speak about borrowing and lending. Uh, there's negative connotations about borrowing, but positive ones toward lending. In fact, that, that's what God promised to the nation of Israel if they would, if they would do his, uh, keep his commands, that they would be a nation of lenders, not borrowers. The Bible teaches saving with a purpose, saving with a vision for the future. The Bible commends us as stewards of what we have today. And part of that steward, stewardship is saving for predictable expenditures of tomorrow. You have things before you today, but you can look to the future. You, you should be able to know what's coming and plan for it and have a vision for it. Although the scriptures encourage saving, we also find warnings about desiring to be rich. The scriptures do encourage saving, but there are warnings about the desire to be rich. The poorest man in the world is he who has nothing but money. Does that make sense? The poorest man in the world is he who has nothing but money. Any of you who said that? One of the richest men that has ever lived, John D. Rockefeller. Evidently, he had something other than money. He had a lot of money. But evidently he had something else because those are some words of wisdom. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10, and, uh, 10 to uh, 12. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what is good, in, and what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? You know, it's true. Isn't it true that, that many times when, when, when people acquire more money, their wages increase, they, they earn more salary, that also the budget increases and the expenditures increase? It seems it's a, a very common to man, and, and, and this is what's, what's brought out there. You know, I think it was mentioned yesterday about the the, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and asks him, what, a, you know, what can I do to have eternal life? And, and in the end, Jesus says, you, well, you're going to have to give up everything you have. If you want eternal life, you're going to have to give everything you have, give it all away, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. But then again, there was this Zacchaeus who, who sought out the Lord and came to the Lord with repentance and 
a right attitude about what he had done and a willingness to, to give away uh, what he had and to, to restore to those who he had cheated and to give to the poor. And it's true that, that Jesus, uh, when he heard that, he said that, that salvation had come to this man's house. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't say, well, now Zacchaeus, you've got more yet. Give it all away. He didn't say that. But the difference was the attitude of the heart. Zacchaeus, I think if Jesus would have said to him, there was this, this other man that I talked to the other day, and he asked me, he was having these same questions in his mind, and this is what I told him. And you're going to have to do the same thing. No, he didn't say that. But the heart of Zacchaeus was to do, do the will of the Lord, to make right his wrongs with people, and to give to the poor. And Jesus says, this day salvation has come to the house. He didn't ask him for everything, but he was willing. I think Zacchaeus would have been willing to give it all. First Timothy 6. We could turn there. First Timothy in chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Having food and raiment, the essentials, food, clothing, shelter, Uh, just back in January, my wife and I went on a on a on a on a trip to uh, Africa, uh, a visit with our missionary family, and uh, for for two days we we lived in an African village. Um, stayed there, lived in a, or or stayed in a. We didn't live in the mud hut. We we stayed in a mud hut. We slept in it. You don't you don't live in the buildings. You just. They're, all they're there for is shelter for sleeping. They're just shelter. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was as low as it gets, just about. Dirt floor. A grass roof. And the people were content. And they're Muslims. They're content with the little that they have. They eat the very same thing every day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. The same, the very same food. I have to tell you, by the second day of, of eating that, I was ready for something a little bit different. But they're content. And they're Muslims. They're poor. In 1914, the average American spent 43% of his income on food. That's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? The average American, this is just about 100 years ago, a little more than 100 years ago, he was spending a good portion of his income on food. Food was a major expense. Clothing costs were about 13%. So that left about 44% left over for everything else. Whatever that might have been. Housing, transportation, other necessities of life. A hundred years later, in 2014, Americans spend 10% on food. So much less. What a blessing. We've got cheap food. 3% on clothing. 87% on other stuff. So this, you know, these are current figures. 
13% on the average Americans spend on the essentials, food and raiment, and 87% on everything else. A lot of it's just stuff. It's just a bunch of stuff. And having food and raiment, let us therefore be content. 87% on the other things. But they that will be rich will uh, fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. You know, over the, over the, uh, the last 25 years, um, a little bit longer than that, th- that I've been a, uh, a born-again Christian, I've heard a lot of sermons. You know, if I asked you today, do you, do you remember what the sermon was? Uh, in your church last Sunday. You remember what it was? Well, maybe, maybe you do. Maybe your memory need to be jogged a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, it comes back. But I remember a message from over 20 years ago, 25 years ago, maybe. It was hard to forget it. It's a message about, about money and riches. It was, and, and the thing that I remember is this one statement this pastor made. It was, about, it was about this very subject. And he used this verse, for the, root of, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And this is what the pastor said. He said, I don't love money. I don't love money. I just like it a lot. Now you can understand why I remember it. That was so, so much against what the Word of God says. Talk about health and wealth gospel. We didn't last long in that church. And that is the most memorable message that he ever gave, in my mind. How sad. There's something we need to consider. Um, I just came across a book yesterday where we're staying called This Side of the Global Wall by Gary Miller. He talks about the, he mentions the Anabaptists in this book, and he talks about the assimilated Anabaptists and the the unassimilated uh, uh, Anabaptists, I should say. And, and he defines the difference being that the assimilated Anabaptists are those who, who uh, you know, if, 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 you, if you saw one uh, in, in the general public, you, wouldn't, you couldn't tell by how he looked that he, that he was in an Anabaptist background or an Anabaptist church. And the, those, those would be the assimilated, assimilated to the culture. And the unassimilated are the ones that that, that when, you, when you walk down the street, someone, someone would very, uh, be able to identify you as, oh, it, you Amish? Are you Mennonite? Or what are you? So that's how he can, kind of makes that, that distinction. But let me say this. Although we might identify ourselves as perhaps unassimilated, you, you can look at what we're doing or how we look and say, well, they're, they're Anabaptists. Look, you, that's clear, isn't it? But what about our spending? What about our finances? Are our finances assimilated into the culture around us? Are we doing pretty much what everyone else is doing with their finances? Who do you seek for financial counsel? Do you go to the Word of God? Do you go to the, the, to the ministry? Do you go to someone in, in, in your, your church who 
has a business that you, you know is managing well and you know is, a, is a supporting the kingdom of, of God? Or do you trust the, a financial advisor? Do you trust your banker? You know, when you go for a loan, and, and perhaps at some point, uh, many of you are going are to face this, you know, when you're looking for housing, of course, there's always that question of should you rent, should you buy? If you go for a loan, if you're going to buy a place, the banker's never going to ask you this question. He's never going to ask you when, when you're figuring out your financial status. He's going to look at how much income you have, where your money goes, do you have a car payment, uh, things like that. And, and they're going to make allowances for how much you should be paying for your utilities and, and what, what kind of debt you have. And they ask you all these questions. The banker's never going to ask you, oh, we need to figure in something for your what you're giving for the kingdom of God. We need to factor that into this financial picture. He's never going to ask that question. He's never going to ask it. He'll qualify you for the loan, but that qualification leaves out the kingdom of God because he'll figure it down to the penny what you can afford. And you won't ask that question, who you're getting your advice from. Look to one more scripture here, and then we'll be closing. In Luke chapter 12, we have the account of the, the prosperous farmer. And we, we know the story. This, this man, he, he had a very good year. Luke 12, verse 13. Had a good year, a prosperous year. Um, the... the the crops came in, he, he had more than, than he knew what to do with, and so, so he says in verse 18, uh, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to pull down my barns, I'm going to build greater, and, and then I'll have lots of room for all the stuff that I have. You ever wonder why the mini barn business is so good? Incredible. I mean, I don't know about you, but you, you, you drive along, you, you go visiting different places, state to state, and you see all these mini barn places. I'm not picking on you, Brother Elvin. <laughs> but it's a fact. It's a fact. Lots of stuff to be put in bigger and more barns. But, but he said... And I will say to my soul, so thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what he decided to do with, with his wealth. He decided to, you know, it was like the Americans, us Americans spending, you know, average 87% on all everything. I'm going to just spend it all, have a good time, build bigger barns, eat and drink, be merry, and have acquire all kinds of things. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then, those, then who shall those things be which thou hast uh, provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This whole thing is about where is your heart in this matter? Is, is all that you have, is it really yours? Or do you, do you consider yourself truly to be a steward of what's been entrusted to you? I'm going to end here with a quote. A quote from uh, uh, one of Gary uh, Miller's uh, recent books here called Charting a Course in Your Youth. Charting a course, write that down, charting a course in your youth. Uh, I knew someone who had the book and, and uh, asked to read it, and it's, so I can give you a review. I think it would be a very good resource for everyone to look through. Challenging. 
Uh, I can today I can only touch on some of these things, but but I can say that the book uh, uh, thoroughly will challenge you. But he says this: It has been over three hundred years since John Bunyan wrote the book Holy War. And there is no way that he could have predicted the materialistic climate we find ourselves in today. Yet it seems clear that we are living living in the exact scenario Bunyan depicted in his account. The God of this world is flooding our lives with goods and stuff. Materialism is stealing our resources, our time, and our thought life. It is time for the church to confess that we have given ground in this area and renounced the God of this world. In another place, he writes this. There has never been a generation with more opportunity. Speaking of you all. Youth today have been given tremendous resources and with those resources comes responsibility. Too much is given, much will be required. That's what the scripture says. You can heap these resources upon yourself, or you can choose to build the kingdom of God by being a channel for those resources to bless those in need. The choice is before you, he writes. Lord bless you.